Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Amen, church. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you guys. Let me say good morning and welcome to all of you joining us online. And if you are new with us, either here in person or online, we are excited and honored to have you join us in a special Sunday service as we take a pause in our Hebrew series. Just for one week, we'll be back in Hebrews next week. But we're going to take a pause and celebrate this morning all what God is doing in and through our church. We're going to celebrate what he's doing in our church. Uh, for the Kingdom Campaign, our expansion campaign, as, lo as, long as, as well as we're going to jump into God's Word and um, remind ourselves of the privilege of carrying His light around the world, again, as we are called to be vessels of His light to shine. And, and, and there are some things coming up that I want to just kind of highlight and spotlight for us where this is happening. Uh, so some things coming up. Kids Club kicks off Wednesday to really excited about where kids will be uh, for five weeks will be able to minister and care for families and, and children and be able to share the love of Christ with them. Uh, Costa Rica team leaves in a couple weeks, July 15th through the 21st. We invite you as we finish up our preparations for that trip, invite you to join us in prayer and uh, for all that God's going to do while we're down there. Baptisms are coming up July 17th. If you want to be a part of baptisms, we would love that opportunity to celebrate that moment moment where you proclaim Christ uh, to, to others uh, through baptism. And so July 17th, you can sign up for that and let Pastor Tyler know. Ongoing on our campus, if you haven't noticed or, or uh, driven by recently, but ongoing throughout the summer, we host uh, summer sports camps through our sports ministry. So those are happening across our campus. And then in August, we have the Global Leadership Summit coming up. We got to host it last August, and we're hosting again this year where we get to learn leadership, grow in our leadership, and how that uh, really influences and affects those that we are around throughout our lives. And so all that to say, and, and that's just a small sampling of the things that God is doing here on his campus, but all that to say that all those places, all those opportunities are, are places where we're shining God's light, where we get to minister, equip, serve, expand his kingdom, and it's a blessing to be a part of that. And, and that blessing continues, our hope and our excitement continues to see what God is going to continue to do, that he's already doing, but what he's going to continue to do into the future across this campus for his glory and his church, which leads me to one last bit of information. This September, we will celebrate 25 years as a church. Amen. Amen. Very exciting, very exciting. 25 years, so mark your calendar. September 18th is the Sunday that we will celebrate that together. Our celebrate our 25th year of gospel ministry in the Carolina Forest, Myrtle Beach, and, and beyond. And it's just, a, it's just an incredible moment for us to be able to celebrate 25 years that God has been faithful. We've seen the faithfulness of God. He's, he's been at work. He's been working in and through our church, and we're excited for that time together. And don't be more to come on that celebration in the coming months. And 25 years, and let that settle in. <laughs> 
For 25 years, God has been faithful here. And I, the 25 years has been something on my mind recently, too. Next month, my wife and I will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Yep. I'm as shocked as you are. You know, some of you are like, wow. Wow, you made it that long? She surprised me. She was in first service, and I didn't know it. And I made a comment, and now i got to see if I'm going to make it to the 26th year. So <laughs> pray for that. Uh, no, but we, uh, so I've been thinking about just 25 years, and, and let that settle in. A number of families here with our church over that time frame that have seen transformation come from the gospel being proclaimed, from the, from the gospel outworking of other people's lives, their lives have been transformed, the lives that, including my own, has been transformed over that time. Some powerful stories, and, and truly, we'd like to hear yours. So if you would be willing to share how the ministries of this church has impacted your life or your family's lives, we would love to hear about it. And two ways that you can do that. We're inviting you to do that via written word. If you want to write that out for us and share that uh, in a written word or via video. Either way, you can let uh, Miss Leslie Brown know. Her email is up on the screens. You can email her and uh, we will get in contact with you to, uh, to go through that. So we would love to hear how God has used his church here at CFCC to really impact your life or your family's lives. And as we think about that ministry and God's work through his church and impacted lives, our own lives and the lives that came before us, and we're hoping and praying for the lives that come after us, imagine, again, with that focus of how we want to see that, the generations to come until Jesus returns, that we want to, you know, you and I, those of us who know Christ, have been transformed and changed by Christ and been, been a part of his church, in and through his church. I mean, that same desire, hopefully, is, is there collectively that we want to see that life-changing, life-altering, trajectory-changing moment and experience by the gospel and the finished work of Christ and the lives of others until Jesus returns. And that's where we pause today. That's where we settle in and we pause today and we allow the, the Word of God to stir us again in the journey that God has begun uh, with us um, through our For the Kingdom campaign. So I want to share just some updates to celebrate where we are. If you are new with us again, this is uh, maybe hopefully will bring some clarity as to what this morning is about. We began a journey last fall. Of, of a season of prayer and preparation, believing that God wanted to expand and complete the campus that we have here to minister to all people in all areas and all places, a, a really a 360-degree holistic experience of gospel work. And, and God led us together to walk through the book of Nehemiah. And so through that time, a time of prayer and preparation took us into this year, into 2022. And at the end of February, we, we had a moment by God's leading to make a commitment towards the future of CFCC. So we're just past, just past the four-month mark of that commitment Sunday back in February. And, and what God has done is, is, a, is, is remarkable. It's, it's a moment where we truly could use the phrase, only God. Only God could do this. And so, so here's just some numbers just to celebrate with me. Um, so far, we've had 68 uh, commitments to the campaign for a total of $566,000, almost 566, 67000 Amen? Amen? 
we are down to around a little, just a little past 850000 with what's left to pay on what you and I are experiencing, getting to join in and gather in today, our Chapter 1 investment. And as soon as that is gone, we'll be able to start saving and, and really being prepared for the next phase, which we don't want to go back in the debt. We want to pay all that um, with cash, with, with a check, however they do that now. I don't even know. Um, be a lot of cash probably to take this somewhere. It'd be probably strange. Um, but we want to make sure that the future ministries and leadership is uh, taken care of and they stand on our shoulders as we do that. To date, uh, commitments and one-time gifts, over 195000 has, be has been given to date. Amen? Just over four months. And not only that, and this might be something that we really celebrate, not only that, we are above budget, our operating budget for the year, we're above budget by 15000 So put all that together, and this is a moment where it's only God. Your generosity, your generosity is truly overwhelming. Your generosity is sacrificial. It's a tangible reflection of God's generosity in your lives. And it is truly humbling as a pastor and as a leader in the local church to be a part of a church family that sees this as not, not something that's temporal, but it's eternal. That this is bigger than any one of us. And this is for the moms and dads and the sons and daughters, for our kids and the kids after and the grandmas and grandpas and the aunts and uncles and all those that would come after us that the gospel would shine bright. And there might be parts of this that we may not even see complete before we're with Jesus. And so... To know that we're investing in his kingdom, a kingdom that will never fail, and to be a part of a church family that gets that and understands that and has given so much so quickly is overwhelming. I can't say it with enough sincerity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for trusting in the mission and the vision of what God is doing in and through our church for the generations to come. Thank you for investing in the kingdom, again, that will never fail. And my prayer is that we just keep moving forward one day at a time. We just keep moving forward, listening and responding to God's voice. And if you'd like to be invo involved in this, if you haven't already got involved and you'd like to be involved, uh, there are cards in the information kiosk out on the For the Kingdom wall in the lobby. If you want to see kind of a, um, a, a picture of what maybe could be and more to come on that in the, in the coming months, but if you want to see that, it's out in the lobby Feel free to allow God to lead you to be involved. Now, as we celebrate that, let's be reminded, if you'd allow me, let's open the word together and, uh, and really focus our heart and our mind on the light that will never go out, which is what we want to be known as to the world around us. So if you have a Bible, whether electronic or hard copy, if you have a Bible and you want to open to John chapter 8 with me, John chapter 8. So if you find the, the New Testament, the middle of the Bible, really, you'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He is the fourth book in the what is known as the Gospels. John chapter 8 uh, is John's recorded history of uh, and John's narrative of Jesus' ministry and life on earth. So John chapter 8. And I want to when we get there, verse 12 is the verse that we're going to focus in on. And so we're going to read this, but then we're going to kind of step back and look at something that's really going to bring it into picture. So John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, 
to understand the magnitude and to grasp really the magnitude of what Jesus speaks here in this I am statement that he is the light of the world I want to show you some other places where we see scripture speak to and bring about light illumination so that we understand it kind of more in its wholeness or fullness and these are just a sampling of verses but I want to go back into the Old Testament let's go to the very first book of the Old Testament Genesis chapter 1 and if you just want to write these down because we're going to go through quite a few fairly quick Genesis 1 verses 3 and 4 and this is the story of God's creation when God created all things and God said let there be light and there was light verse 4 and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the dark so creation begins with God creating light. God separates the light from the darkness. And this becomes a metaphor of what God does in human lives throughout human history through the rest of Scripture. If you were to move forward, you'd see that that is, that is prevalent. That is a prevalent teaching and principle of Scripture. That God creates light is found a foundational element on which all life is built. Our life, the life uh, that surrounds us, that are around us, are contingent dependent upon this light, God's light. Okay, so we see this, jump to Psalms. The book of Psalms, Psalm 19, verse 8. We read, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And here we see light is used as a metaphor for the teachings of God. The ways in which you and I are supposed to live according to his word in addition to commands that he gives us that are dictated uh, here, that are, governed, that are to govern our conduct and our behavior and our life, it enlightens our eyes. So we're told that what God has to say to us about our conduct, about our behavior, how do we go throughout our day-to-day, -day, when God speaks, what he's bringing is light. He's bringing light. He's illuminating our path He's illuminating our steps so that we know which way to go. Jump to Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here, the metaphor of light is tied to salvation. That light also brings about salvation. That, that we are dead in our sins, separated from God, and the function of this light that God gives is to, is to cleanse us, is to heal us, is to forgive us, and provide for our salvation and our relationship with God. And in that salvation and relationship with God, we find strength. We find strength. Jump to Psalm 118, 27. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. The concept here is that God is light, which we find in the New Testament. The book of 1 John, not the book that we're in, but the book of 1 John tells us that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And that the light of God shines upon us. Just like the psalmist said, he has made his light to shine. He, is, he has chosen to shine his light upon us, which is a blessing, which is grace, which is a privilege. It's like after winter and and I, and I know we don't really have winters here. And in the first service, someone amen that and clapped. And uh, that's why we're here, right? We don't, but maybe you came from a place or you've moved here from a place that had, you know, really 
really strong or powerful winters and it maybe was dark or gloomy all the time and and you can remember and you can reflect back on that one time that you walked out after winter was over where you walked out and you felt the sun shining down on your face again and the warmth of the sun and 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 in that moment you that's that's the light that is that is a you know a moment that you can connect that's the light of God in our lives it's the light of God and how God's light is to shine upon us we move forward to Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. And so light is also used as a metaphor for wisdom. And wisdom is knowing how to live, how to walk with God in practical ways, daily ways. How we conduct ourselves in, a, in our everyday, in our Affairs of our day-to-day routine. Wisdom is light, and wisdom is a form of light that God gives to us. Now we jump into the New Testament. In the book that we just read out of chapter 8, verse 12, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he writes this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John writing in chapter 1 is something that we just heard Jesus say in chapter 8. Because the hymn there in chapter 1, verse 4 is Jesus. So Jesus is what? He is the ultimate light. The ultimate light come down for us, shining in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. For everyone living in darkness, Jesus came and he kind of flipped on the light. For, For humanity living in darkness, when Jesus came and put on flesh, he flipped on the light. In the south, you say cut on. Cut on the light. He cut on the light. And in the midst of darkness, when the light comes on, what, what is our response? And maybe you've experienced this. It's shocking at times, right? When, you're, when, you're, when you've kind of got used to darkness and your eyes have kind of adjusted to darkness and the light is flipped on, it's kind of like shocking. It grabs our attention. Maybe even harsh if we're not used to living in the light. So when Jesus comes and he, and he flips on the light as the true light, he brings a transforming light, we might find ourselves... Push him back. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And again, he's speaking about Christ. Jesus was coming into the world to illuminate it. To what? To him. To the Father. For the glory of the kingdom of God. To be all those things we just read in the Old Testament. To be wisdom. To be our salvation. To lead and guide us. To light our path, to open our eyes, to show us the ways to live. Jesus, to illuminate, came to illuminate him and the Father to save us all from darkness. But here's what happens. John chapter 3. Go just a few chapters forward. Right after the most famous verse in Scripture, John 3.16, we find verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. In the darkness, we will do things we would never do in the light. You relate to that? In the secret places, 
in the secret places of our lives, we decide ourselves, you know, we deceive ourselves as to the things we do that we would never do in open places. But the light that has come is eternity changing. Like it's transformative, right? It's eternity changing. It's the changing the forever of our lives. So why do we reject and run from it? Why do we reject it? You've maybe heard the famous saying, it's, you know, we are to operate under the cover of darkness, right? And we understand that saying because we think it reduces the chances of exposure and getting caught. Sometimes you might have grew up with a parent who would say nothing good happens after dark. So again, the question is, why do we run? If this light is transformative, if it's eternally transformative, why do we run? Why do we run from the light? And it's important for you and I to understand it in our own lives as we might understand it in the lives of those around us. I'm going to give you a couple of ideas. Think on these with me. Here's one of the reasons why we run, fear of punishment. Fear of punishment. It's kind of silly, though. Getting caught by God? <laughs> he already caught us. There's a Latin phrase, quorum Deo. And it says we are to live quorum Deo. Quorum Deo means before the face of God, that we live before the face of God. See, God doesn't have to catch us to discipline or punish us. He may discipline us, though, to bring us back in line. He may discipline us... As a perfect and good, you know, bring us back in line to his perfect and good plan for our lives and to keep us from future hurt or pain. Just like any good, loving parent does. The fear of punishment sometimes causes people to run. Here's another one it hurts. The light hurts when we, we often deceive ourselves about how good a person we are. <laughs> We're really good at comparing, comparing down, not up. We deceive ourselves, right? Sometimes by putting others, even by putting others around us who are worse off than us, so that we can go, well, at least I'm not that bad, which we see also in the scriptures. We see that happening with the Pharisees. At least I'm not that bad. I'm not the worst. And then we look at our deeds of, of good, and we think they weigh, outweigh our deeds of bad. Like we create our own scales, Instead of using the scales of Scripture, well, Jesus then shows up, and, and the light comes on. Illumination comes in, in our life, and it, it occurs to us that we're not as good as we think we are, and we feel convicted by it, which is the work of the Spirit and the light, first of all, to bring about that reality that I'm not as good as I look. My comparison isn't this way, but it's this way, and he's much holier than me. And so, the, so he comes and he flips on the light, right? And we feel convicted and broken. And, and in that conviction and that brokenness, we're ashamed. And being ashamed is what keeps us from going to the light. We run. Here's the other one. Love of darkness, which we saw in verse 19 of chapter 3. There is this love of darkness. Darkness being sin. In that sin, we... We derive and we're deceived, though, by, by short-term gratification. It has no long-term joy, and that short-term gratification just leads to a vicious cycle of going back to it and back to it. Again, the Scriptures teach to that. Many of us just run back into the darkness when the light comes on because we've deceived ourselves to think that that darkness brings about the right comfort, the best comfort, the perfect comfort. 
And that that darkness is where I find my, is where I place my dependency on those things and those places, maybe even those people. And we're unwilling to let them go and grab on to the light. Hatred of the light, John 3, verse 20. That's what John wrote. There's a hatred. The thought is that what right does God have coming into my life, taking over my life? I mean, that, that the audacity of God coming in and attacking my autonomy, uh, coming in and, and pointing out what's good and what's bad in my life, the, the audacity for God to do that. We, we hate the light because if we move into it, we're giving over authority of our life and, and we are surrendering to God and therefore can't be our own God. Little g. And we hate the concept of not having full ultimate complete control of our lives we despise that even when we make it a complete mess and we've deceived ourselves even into thinking that we do control everything in our lives that is a deception of the devil you and I know hopefully in this room and those online we don't control everything but we live our lives sometimes like we do thinking that we do Here's the last one, fear of rejection. And I'll say this is probably the one as a pastor that I hear the most, fear of rejection. There's no way God can love me for all the things I've done. There's no way God could love me if I go to him and he sees how bad I am. He will never forgive me for all the things that I've said and done within my life. And here's the lie that, that traps us here. The lie is, is that that you don't think that God didn't know it to begin with. That's the lie. We lie to ourselves thinking that God didn't notice before we went to and told him. Spoiler alert, God already knows. We kind of talked about that. God already knows. And, and here's the beauty and the love and the grace. And he still came for us. He still pursues us. But along with fear of rejection from God, it's also fear of rejection from what others might think if I go to the light. We find ourselves chained to a reputation or an image that we've worked hard to build. And, and instead of actually living in the freedom of the image that God has made us to be. So we fear that others around us horizontally might reject us. So we don't go. Those are just a few of the reasons why we find the verses in chapter 3, 19 and 20, as John writes, that, yeah, the light was here, and it was illuminating. It was life. It was eternity changing. But there are those who didn't go. Now, with all that kind of in play, with our kind of our macro view of light in play in Scripture, and the reasons why we run, let's go back to our text again, John chapter 8, verse 12. Let me set up the backstory of what's taking place with this verse. They are having the Feast of Tabernacles. They're in Jerusalem, they're in the temple, and they're having the Feast of Tabernacles, and they are celebrating God's deliverance of, of his people from Egypt. They're celebrating God's rescue of them out of slavery, 
and, and God leading them as they, as they wandered around in the wilderness, they, they slept in tents, and, and God leading them through a pillar of fire and through light, he led them through all that. And there was, this is a, a feast, and, and when I say celebration, I mean there's dancing, there's, uh, there's instruments. Like it is a celebration where they are, they are so praising God for his deliverance out of slavery. And in the picture, and it's again, God dwelt or tabernacled among them. And so this feast really is celebrating his presence, fire and light, and his deliverance for, from slavery for them. It would take place in the temple, the court of women, where there was these huge candle operas. And you've got to remember how dark it was. Like when it got dark... There was no buildings, there was no street lights, there was no like light coming off of anything else. When it was dark, it was dark, right? But they had these huge candle operas and that they would, they would take oil up to them and they would they'd fill them with oil and then they would light them on fire in, the, in, this, in this court of women, in this place in the temple, okay? And so they would light these up. Now, let me give you a kind of a, hopefully a picture so you can imagine if, and there's other lights there around, but if you can imagine if those big pillars were out, how dark, how dark it would be. It was said that you could see the, the temple lit up from miles away. And Jesus is there. He's on the scene. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of what they're celebrating, God, fire and light, Jesus stands up on the steps and he proclaims to them again, John 8, 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hopefully now you can understand the, the, the majesty, the magnitude of what Jesus' I am statement is about here. Imagine the scene. The torches are lit, which represent the Shekinah glory of God. And Jesus is saying to them, I am identified with that glory. I am the pillar of light that led, protect, provided I. That is me. And if you follow me, I will continue to lead and guide and protect. And eventually we will be together. That is, that's what's happening here. All the verses that we looked at in the Old Testament, and there's so many more, of identifying light and its work in our lives. That's Jesus. He is the light. Which leads us to, how do I follow him? I mean, how do I, how do I get that light? How do I have that light? And Jesus answers in verse 12, follow me. What is he doing? He's presenting an invitation. And if you've never responded to the invitation to follow Jesus, he's speaking it to you now. He's saying, follow me. All of those things he took for us. He took the punishment. He took the rejection. He shined light into the darkness. He took the pain through crucifixion. He conquered all that. Jesus presents the invitation, follow me. I am the light of the world. And what else does he say? What will we have? The light of life. I told you it's transformative. It's eternity transforming. The light of life it transforms our eternity from condemnation and away from God in hell to with God forever and ever in heaven. And the litmus test is 
to truly knowing who has a relationship with Christ and who does not is by answering the question that Jesus poses numerous times, not just here. Follow me. And it's not a momentary, it's, like, like, it's not like a one-time thing where you just have this momentary decision or response to follow, but it's a habitual life practice of, and pattern of following Jesus. That's what, again, that's what the Old Testament is talking about. The way we conduct our lives on the day-to-day is by the light shining and guiding. So it wasn't just a one-time thing. It is a time that happens, but then it's every day. We run that race, as Paul says, to the very end. We persevere as the book of Hebrews is teaching us and it will continue to point out to us that I am to live out my days with Jesus as commander. When he says follow, what am I following? I'm following Jesus as commander of my life. I'm following Jesus as king of my life. I'm following Jesus as teacher of my life. I'm following Jesus as the owner of my life. Why is he the owner? Why is he the master and I'm the slave? Because he bought me with a high price and the price was his his life. But if if we let the darkness around us, the darkness within us, become king, master, teacher, ruler, tutor, lord, it leads us away. We run from the light. See, Jesus takes all those titles in our lives when we respond to his invitation to follow. We follow by repentance. Again, the light shines. It shows us, man, I'm not as good as I, not as good as I think I am. Because again, I'm not comparing this way. I'm comparing this way. It convicts us. My, my works, the things that I do that are good, ah, they're borderline. His work was perfect. I need that. And then it heals us. It humbles us, which we need to live in a posture of humility as Christians. Here's the great hope. Can I show you this? Verse 30 in our same chapter, chapter 8. Here's the great hope. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise God. Many came to the light. That's our hope here. Is as you and I proclaim this light of the world that has come to us and that we are vessels now partaking within that light as it shines through us, that is our hope. That is a hope for our church and our campus as we expand it and and that everybody will be... (laughs) Be exposed to the light that would draw them in, and many will believe. Many said, that's it. Stepping forward into the light, I'm living in the light of God. Here's my sin. Here's my past. Here's my present. Here's my mess-ups. Here's my pride. Here's my attempts at being good enough. Here here I am, God, all of me, which God welcomes with open arms because we'll never get it right. We'll never figure it out on our own. We don't need to clean ourselves up before we go. That's his work. Here I am, God, all of me. I'm not going back to the darkness. I'm not going back to the old me. I am here. I trust you. I don't know where you're going with me, but I know that the scripture teaches me that you are the light that lights my path, and I will take those steps as you light them up, and I trust you. That's what we'll proclaim in baptisms. That's what your proclamation is to to people, is that you have trusted and put your trust in him. So for those that step into his light, maybe that's you today. And again, the invitation is there. Believe. Believe. For those that have stepped into the light, listen to these verses. And if you've stepped in and you're living in the light, be encouraged today. Be empowered by these verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. This reminds us 
This reminds us that as we stand and we remain in the light of God, what are we? We are adopted into a family. And I don't know your upbringing. I don't know what your family life was. But here the promise is that you are adopted into an eternal family as a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ who is alive forevermore, who holds the death, who holds the keys of death in Hades. And so when we come to the light, we're adopted into the family and we have a father God is our Father, and He is our Father forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And He is a perfect Father. Let me give you another one. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. It's marvelous light. It's not just a light. It's not some light. It's a marvelous light. This is a privilege. And if you notice, this is us together, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. This is us collectively unified together. What are we unified by? His light. We're all in the light that you and I individually may proclaim through the work of his light in our lives, proclaim his excellencies. It's a privilege. It's a great privilege. It's a privilege we get to live under the new marvelous light. But not only that, but we get to proclaim it. This is the task that's been given to us to proclaim his glory. For the light, the same light that has flooded into our life, the same light that, that has forgiven the darkness, the same light that healed and has overcome the darkness, the same light that leads us into worship, that is the light that you and I get to proclaim and testify to others. We get to go on mission with God to tell the world. That's the hope of our expansion. That's the hope of our church is to be bright lights shining brighter and brighter. We want to see that now. We want to see that continue for the generations to come until Jesus returns on this campus. And let me give you a few more. On the last day, when all this is gone, a new creation comes for those in a relationship with Jesus by repentance and faith. This is the future. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. In the new creation, we as children of light, capital L, we walk into that glorious city, and the illumination of that glorious city will come from the presence of God, His majesty and glory. Revelation 22, 5, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Darkness, sin, night, it's all gone. Christ is the illumination because He is the light of the world. Let me finish with a story. Through the pitch black night, a captain of a ship spots a light dead ahead on a collision course with his vessel. So he sends a warning. Change your course 10 degrees east. The light signals back, change yours 10 degrees west. The captain responds angrily, I'm a captain in the United States Navy. Change your course, sir. 
I am a seaman second class, comes the reply. Change your course, sir. Now the captain, he's furious. Says, I'm a battleship. I am not changing course. It's one last reply. I'm a lighthouse. It's your call. Church, there are a lot of people around us that are on a crash course to destruction. There are those in close proximity in your life, maybe even your own house, who are on a crash course with destruction. God's given us the great privilege of being a light. But not just a light to those that you look like, talk like, and want to be like, but a light to the world. Not just a light pointed one way, but a light that spins 360 degrees. A light that testifies and proclaims and calls out, change your course. With grace and love, we tell others, change your course. There's rocks. There's destruction. This will not end well. Change your course. See the light, the light of the world. Don't crash. You don't have to. God loves you. Change your course. May you and I proclaim together Jesus is the true light. He's not just another light or a light, but He is the light that saves. Our hope for now and for the future until Jesus returns is that his campus, CFCC, will continue to shine brighter and brighter and brighter for his glory, for his grace, and for his salvation to men and women until he comes back. Let's pray. Father, humbling task you have given us one that should keep us in prayer and independency on you. One that should lead us to study, to learn, to grow in your word. One that should carry us to the lives of others, to shine the light that you've brought to us, to be a light to all people, not for ourselves or our kingdom, but for yours. God, I can't say enough. Thank you. I can't use the word gratitude enough for what you are doing in and through the life and the family of this church, where you are taking us, what is to come. My hope and my prayer is, God, that we continue just to be led by you. We continue to hear your voice above all else and we continue to let that light shine through us together into the dark places God send us where we are to go people may know your love as we are loved we pray this in Jesus name Amen